Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod, and welcome to this week's Roundtable, where with the help of three good friends from the Washington Press Corps, we look back on and try to make some sense out of the events of the past week. Because of its gravity, it was a week focused mainly on the coronavirus, with some 15,000 cases now in the United States, actually 13,000 and over 175 dead. President Trump and his team held a daily news conference assuring the American people that everything was under control, but reports from the ground are not so optimistic. Where are the tests? Where's that website? Do we even know how many Americans have the disease? And are hospitals equipped with enough ventilators or respirators to handle the expected caseload? Meanwhile, maybe you missed it, but there were three more states that held their Democratic primaries this week, and Joe Biden won every one of them. Is this the end of the road for Bernie Sanders? Well, here to read the tea leaves of the week, Sabrina Siddiqui, national politics reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Hello, Sabrina. Hello, hello. John Bennett, a Washington bureau chief for The Independent. Hello, John. Hello, friends. And Hunter Walker, White House correspondent for Yahoo News. Hi, Hunter. Hello. All right. So, by the way, in uh, keeping with uh, our the recommendation for social distancing, this is the first viral roundtable uh, of the Bill Press Pod. We are all joining in online from our homes, which raises the first question. How are you guys handling the coronavirus? What kind of... Uh, Extra measures have you taken, uh, given the recommendation uh, to stay home, social distancing, or whatever? How about you, Sabrina? <laughs> well, I don't leave the house much. And I, my husband and I mostly keep to ourselves. We take a walk each day because it helps for the purpose of our sanity. But we're not really seeing our friends. And, I mean, that's just the reality. We're not going out to you know, public indoor places. We're trying to avoid visits to the grocery store, except for when we need essentials and just doing our part. I mean, it's, 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 I think the meme that I saw though, because there's a lot of frustration with young people who aren't taking it seriously, who are out there on the beaches of Florida for spring break is, um, that made the most sense to me was your grandparents were called to war. You're being called to sit on your couch. You can do this. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, we Hunter? Want you to join our Netflix queue. Yeah. <laughs> so, Hunter, you can't go out for dinner or can't go out for lunch because the restaurants are closed anyhow, right? What are you yeah. doing, Hunter? Yeah, so, you know, I, I keep thinking about this. Remember way back in the before times when there was the Peloton ad 
and it was the husband who got his wife the Peloton, and she was like, you know, sort of forced to forced to spin for her life. Um, and and we think of the Peloton as something that that uh, you know a, a womanly thing, perhaps. But I got to tell you, I'm so grateful that my wife got one <laughs> because I've been. I, it, that's a nice source of sanity. Uh, you know, a little. Just to be clear, your wife exercise. got it herself, right? You did not get it for her. No, she ended up getting it Good. for me. I guess, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm now the Peloton girl. Yeah. And John Bennett staying home. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, like Sabrina and Hunter, uh, usually a morning jog, an evening scroll. Uh, you know, avoiding the supermarket, except for essentials, but uh, enjoying some sports documentaries. Uh, I watched one on NBA Network on the Dream Team. You might remember those guys. And uh, ESPN is, they have to come up with some programming, and they, they've started to move some of their 30 library um, out mm. from behind the out from behind their ESPN Plus oh, wow. paywall and was reintroduced to Christian Leitner the other night. Uh, fascinating a college basketball star from uh, back when I was just a young fella. Uh, I don't know whether you also, by the way, Carol and I too, staying here at home on Capitol Hill, I try to get out. The gym is closed. So instead take a long walk on the Washington mall um, every day. I've never seen the mall so empty. I mean, there's no trouble social distancing on the Washington mall. <laughs> Yesterday I was the only person I saw on the mall at all. Uh, the, I don't know whether you saw the New York Times yesterday had an article saying that we could expect a um, huge surge in new babies nine months after the uh, end of the coronavirus uh, lock-in, lockdown, uh, or a surge in divorces. We're not sure <laughs> what's going to be the outcome of this, but everybody is adjusting. Uh, meanwhile, how are things going with the administration response? Well, one intrepid reporter... Uh, ask the president that uh, a couple of days ago uh, at the White House, and uh, Donald Trump uh, gave himself a high rating. The other day, you said that you were not responsible for the testing shortfall. Very simple question. Does the buck stop with you? And on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate your response to this crisis? I'd rate it a 10. I think we've done a great job. Hunter, having asked the question, how would you rate the president's response <laughs> to your question? Well, there was a second component of that that was pretty interesting. Um, you know, if you'll note, I had asked him, does the buck stop with you? Sort of pivoting off his comment where he said he does not take responsibility for the lack of coronavirus tests. And he didn't initially answer that, but I pressed and, and threw it as a follow-up. And he said, quote, normally which is really, uh, you know, <laughs> the buck stops here is pretty much the most traditional presidential quote. And to see him add some kind of temporary modification on that was quite interesting. <laughs> you wonder if he will uh, take the actual sign from Harry Truman's desk, right, and add the word. Uh, uh, He'll take the famous Trump Sharpie, and it'll yeah. now say the buck stops here normally. <laughs> or sometime. Sabrina, overall, um, do, do, can the American people watching these news conferences every day have any confidence that the administration is on top of it? Well, the challenge here is that the president is now trying to instill the public with confidence by providing false hope and exaggerating uh, the success at containing the spread of the virus and trying to rewrite history when the administration was quite clearly flat-footed in the beginning, 
not taking it seriously, in part because the president himself in the earlier days was calling it a hoax. Now he's out there touting uh, groundbreaking treatments that aren't available, uh, that aren't don't even necessarily exist. Uh, you saw the president say one thing about where they stand with respect to a vaccine or a clinical trial for medication that already exists, seeing if it might work against the coronavirus. And then the FDA chief would come out and try to temper those remarks and say, well, actually, you know, a vaccine that's being tested could take 12 months. And you know, existing medication that's, be, that's used against malaria and other autoimmune mm -hmm. disease that we are now testing to see if it might help work against the coronavirus, those trials could also take months. Right. And so the president is in many ways treating these press conferences like the rallies he can no longer hold, where he just spouts off the statistics that aren't rooted in fact, blames the media, and kind of sounds off some of the greatest hits about who's responsible for the virus, um, and essentially deflecting blame from himself, all in the hopes that this is some earned media that he can try and capitalize on without actually having any of what he's saying rooted in reality. And, John, uh, I was at the White House yesterday where the president said, um, asserted that we've done very, very well. No, no president has done as well as I've done facing any crisis, of course, he said. And that if he had only known, if only somebody had told him about this early on, things would be a lot different. I'm the, not the only one who was stunned to hear him say that. Here he is. Some people would say an act of God. I don't view it as an act of God. I would view it as, uh, as uh, something that just surprised the whole world. And if people would have known about it, it could have stopped, been stopped in place. So, John, if only he had known about it, right? He did know about it. Uh, I knew about it. And if I knew about it, the president of the United States knew about it with, you know, he sits atop this vast intelligence apparatus. Um, it's again, like Sabrina said, it's Donald Trump rewriting history. Uh, just to, to add on to what Sabrina and Hunter said, I, I think the president is focused on the body count. And that, that's very, you know, he's, he's an extreme thinker and, and he's focused on keeping the death toll as low as possible. And if people get sick, but they get better, and he reminds us at these now nearly daily White House uh, press briefings, and it's great to see him in the briefing room, but as Sabrina said, he's, he's, he's out there saying a lot of things that are just false and giving false hope, but he says every day that most people get better. I really think he's focused on keeping the death toll as low as possible and getting, getting past this thing, and maybe the economy bounces back. You know, the stock market roared back just in time for, guess what, Election Day. And yesterday, again, uh, the first word, the first sentence of the president's first sentence was um, roughly paraphrasing. Uh, I, we just want to tell you again about the incredible progress we have made and are making dealing with, here's the point, the Chinese virus. Thank you all for being here. And we continue our relentless effort to defeat the Chinese virus. The Chinese virus. Hunter, is this a problem? I mean, God, this, this, is, this is a complicated one. I, I think, you know, on its face, that is just an unquestionably racist statement. Um, you know, we called the Spanish flu the Spanish flu, but that was 100 years ago. We had a, a lot uh, different standards back then. When they actually named Ebola, they deliberately picked the name of a river that was far away from the source of the virus uh, because they didn't want to stigmatize people. 
This is the opposite of that. This is a deliberate stigmatization when, of course, this virus wasn't made by anyone. It, it, and it comes from bats, right? Now, look, there's a lot of things that China may have done to minimize this. Of course, you know, as we were saying earlier, the president should have known about this a long time ago. We've all been talking about this since January. China did a lot to prevent us from knowing about this as much as we should have. The Chinese Communist Party certainly exacerbated this. But it's completely ridiculous to sort of pin this on an ethnic title, frankly. Uh, on the other hand, what we're seeing on Twitter and elsewhere is that uh, officials with the Chinese government are similarly being ridiculous in their rhetoric. And they're suggesting mm -hmm. that this might have been made in an American lab and that we made the virus. So, you know, I, I, I think one way to sum this up is it's a moment when our president could be bigger and better than the Ch Chinese Communist Party, and he's just not doing that. And, and Sabrina, the message sort of implied in calling it the Chinese virus is it ain't our problem, right? Right. And you heard that uh, in the president's very first address to the nation from the Oval Office, where he talked about this is a foreign virus. Right. And he's been asked multiple times by reporters why he is using this particular language and trying to, in many ways, employ the other uh, as, as as a scapegoat here. And he's obviously doubled down, He, in part because... This is the kind of uh, rhetoric that plays well with his base, and he really doesn't care about the international implications. If there's anything we know about uh, the president, it's that he's not going to hold himself to any uh, standards of decorum or, uh, or diplomacy that you expect from world leaders at, in these times. And to Hunter's point, look, in the very, very beginning, um, were there valid criticisms to make of efforts uh, by the Chinese government to downplay the severity of the virus. Uh, everyone recalls that doctor in Wuhan who, who actually contracted the virus and, yep. and died and yep. who had been very vocal about, um, you know, the urgency of the matter. That's all fine and well. But in the last uh, month or, and, and perhaps beyond, there has been a great deal of cooperation, according to the World Health Organization itself, from the Chinese government, and they actually pushed back against uh, Larry Kudlow, uh, obviously the president's top economic advisor at the White House, uh, making claims that China had, has not still not been transparent, that it's not cooperating. Uh, so when you have the top international health organization pushing back against stigmatizing China or, or trying to blame it, I think that that, that is a much greater authority uh, than, than this particular White House, which is obviously just trying to look for anyone else to blame except the president. I mean, so if, John, if, so, if I may uh, just in, interject yeah, here, sorry, sure, I, sure. I just want to make sure we don't miss something. This has come as there's early indications that we've seen a spike in you know racist uh, incidents involving Asian Americans. Yep, and right. I think that's really, really, really important not to lose sight of because I see this take on Twitter. You know, uh, as Sabrina was saying, this is red meat for the president's base, and he wants to have that conversation. And we should just be talking about you know the numbers of tests and the statistics on this. And I think as a, as a people, we should be able to have two conversations at once. And the president using this type of rhetoric, and we've literally seen from Jabin Botsford, a great White House photographer, a photo that he crossed out uh, yeah. on a White House script, right. the term coronavirus, and replaced it with Chinese virus. He's actively using this rhetoric while we're seeing these types of racist incidents and this kind of spike. And I really just think it's, it's an important part of the conversation as well to note that that's happening. Uh, John, I wanted to ask you about the, the fact that it seems more and more, uh, and does it to you, that the leadership 
uh, is really coming not so much from that team of people the president lines up with every day, but from governors and mayors across the country. Gavin Newsom, governor of California, just put a lockdown on all 40 million Californians for the next two weeks. Yeah, it really does. And also uh, Governor Cuomo in New York State right. has really, you know, he really stepped out this week. Uh, he got under the president's skin. It, it seemed like he almost wanted to pick a fight with the president. But that's how you get Donald Trump's attention. You, you go right at him. You, you, you know, you got to punch a bully in the mouth. That's what my grandfather told me one, once upon a time. And Trump certainly likes to act like a bully. And and Cuomo criticized him. Newsom is, has criticized him. And and that seemed to change. You know, they, there was a little war of words between Cuomo and Trump. And, and then they got on the phone in uh, the last few days, last couple days. Um, you know, they've kind of cooled the rhetoric there. And I think, to your point, I, I think Trump is fine with letting governors and mayors take the lead here because, as Sabrina said, if if whatever they implement in their areas goes south, he has someone to blame, be it President Xi, be it President Xi in China, be it Governor Cuomo or Governor Newsom. Uh, Donald Trump is always going to look look to someone else to blame when, when things don't go so well. And, you know, I don't have a lot to add to the excellent comments uh, from Hunter and Sabrina, but the, the Chinese virus comment, uh, the scapegoating, it, it's all a play to the base. He signals to the base constantly. He's very shrewd in how he does it. He slips in these little comments, and he knows that Fox News and other places are, are going to play them over again. And he gets his message out, even though this week he has sounded more presidential. These press briefings for the most part, have calmed down, and, and his demeanor is, is different, not all the time, uh, but he still slips in these signals to the base, and I would expect that at 11.45 or 12 or 12.30 or whenever he comes out today. I thought that one of the uh, most striking things he said yesterday, uh, following up, uh, John, on your comments about governors and mayors and the steps that they've taken is that um, on the day before, the president had signed the defense uh, author, uh, I guess he had put into effect the Defense Authorization Act and said, I'm going to use the powers of that. And people expected him to buy all these supplies and send them out to the states. And when he was asked about that yesterday, the president said, no, that's not our job. That's the governor's job. He says, we're, we're not a shipping clerk. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. The, the Defense Production Act would allow the federal government right. to, to purchase ventilators and, and, and I guess masks and gloves for hospital workers and, and, and doctors at these pop up uh, pop up hospitals. And I assume they, you know, they could they could get testing kits for, for the drive through testing areas. Uh, but again, the president, he you know, if the if someone else can do this, he's going to let them do this uh, so he can so he can have someone to blame if, if things go south. And the numbers are just going to continue to rise as far as cases as there's more testing. And he's all about numbers and crowd size and death toll. And he wants to be able to at least share ownership with the governors and the mayors here. So yeah. it's not all my fault. I mean, that, that's essential what we're watching every day. It's not all my fault. What he was really saying, Hunter, right? It ain't my job, right? <laughs> I, I, I mean, one thing that um, has been interesting about this, when I was talking to a, a source in the Senate who basically said that they started to get really worried 
once Mike Pence, you know, was named the head of the task force. And, and you know, there's a lot of questions about what that actually means, given that we have Dr. Burke, <laughs> Dr. Fauci. But when Mike Pence was named head of the task force, one of the early developments was that the CDC's messaging actually needed to go through the vice president before yes. getting to the press. Right. And, and this guy in the Senate said, this now means that they're playing politics. This is a Democratic aid. Um, and we're going to need to look to these governors uh, to get accurate information. And so I think we're sort of starting to see that where, you know, Trump is speaking politically at times. And as John was saying earlier, trying to minimize the death toll. I mean, there's been some indications that he told governors not to release employment statistics, that, you know, the testing shortfall has been in part because they don't really want to say how many cases we have in the states. Meanwhile, you've got local officials like Governor Cuomo, particularly, who are sort of waving their arms in the air uh, about how bad this has been. And in some cases, particularly with these hospital ships and other things, it seems like Trump is actually following the lead of the state officials, which is a really, a really interesting dynamic. I think, you know, there's probably a lot of legitimate debate about state versus federal authority in these types of situations. Yeah. But it goes back to that first question we were talking about. Does the buck stop with President Trump? And it seems like, as he admitted to me in the briefing room, the answer is not really. Not all the time. <laughs> uh, before we move on, I want to ask each of you, what does your gut tell you about how long it's going to take to put this behind us? How long we'll be able to, oh. before we'll be able to get out of our house and restaurants open up again? What do you think? Are we in for the long haul, Sabrina? I think we're in for a longer haul than people may anticipate, and they should prepare themselves for that. Uh, the guidance from the CDC suggests um, anywhere from six weeks to two months before you could wow. start going back to the office. Um, I think that that could change, and mm -hmm. businesses will all make their own decisions. For now, I think a lot of these governors and mayors have said about two weeks for non-essential businesses to shut down, but I think they'll have to reevaluate that. It could be longer. And there's a very real concern, of course, about what that means for local businesses, how they can survive. Right. And so what I will say, especially, um, you know, that whether it's here in Washington, D.C. or elsewhere across the country, one of the nicest things you could do is to keep contributing to your local businesses. I mean, there's a lot of places uh, yeah. that you can still carry out from and that you can still, who are also doing uh, positive work around uh, this, during this pandemic. And so right. it is a good and important time to also support local businesses because they're going to take a really good. big toll. Whereas, of course, corporations might be able to bounce back, not so much for the local mom and pop store in D.C. Good point. Hey, John, uh, so no, no baseball season, huh? We're going to go that long? Uh, I, uh, I think we will. I think we're in this for the medium term. I don't I, I, I do have concerns whether it's really in the American spirit to be told to stay indoors and stay home forever. And I think the country is going to get pretty restless. And I haven't, I haven't thought what that means and what that looks like, especially in, in certain areas. I agree with, with that, with that dog there. Um, I, I, I don't know what that means. I we think, love it. I think, we'll get, we I, love it. I think, I think we'll get a truncated baseball season. I think we'll get some kind of truncated uh, hockey and NBA playoffs, which actually could be pretty exciting for, for those really hardcore fans amongst us. Um, but I'm like Sabrina. I think this is going to be a longer haul than a lot of people uh, expect right now. Right. Uh, and uh, of course, Hunter is now taking care of cuddling with his dog. <laughs> this is part of staying home too. Uh, Hunter, what are you, we talked in a couple of months. Well, I mean, I, I really wouldn't want to 
even try to predict anything. I have no science background and, and I'm trying to sort of read what all the experts are saying. And it seems like I'm seeing everything from eight weeks to 18 months, right? But one thing that I think is totally clear uh, and there seems to be consensus on from the scientific community is that it will be shorter if we are taking the measures everyone recommends now Good point. to yeah. make this safe. Yeah. And so that's really the social distancing. I mean, we've seen a couple isolated incidents around the world where they've essentially had this isolation and testing model, and that's been the way to beat this. And so yeah. what is that? You basically take an entire area, whether that be a town or a country, you test everyone, anyone who's positive, you fully quarantine them. So A, first off, that is part of why our lack of testing is such a concern, because we really don't know the scope of this, and there's really no way to get rid of it if we don't. And then also, you know, this question about sort of federal versus state authority is coming up on the question of shelter in place and lockdowns and what have you. As of now, we've essentially received the guidelines from the White House and all local governments to stay inside. But we're not on an official lockdown like we've seen in Italy, uh, some of the measures we've seen in Israel. And I know, you know, I go outside to walk this, this mischievous little dog and I see the park and the playground is full. I see people mm -hmm. playing basketball. Uh, I see people, you know, that I have to swerve to avoid in the street because they're not giving the six feet of space. And these measures are not being ordered or enforced in an official way. And, and that is only going to prolong this problem. Right. We have a lot more to talk about. And uh, we will get to some of that with um, Sabrina Siddiqui and Hunter Walker and John Bennett here on the Bill Press Pod. Uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back. And today's roundtable brought to you by the American Federation of Teachers. Randy Weingarten, president of the AFT, leading 1.7 million teachers of America, most of them now out, uh, of course, on uh, an extended break. They may not even be able to get back into the classroom until the end of the year. Important that they be taken care of as well, of us, as, well as our students and as well as those parents who are staying home and suddenly become home teachers and homeschooling. Uh, we salute the members of the AFT, hope they get back to work soon, uh, and we thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Check out their website at AFT.org. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. 
Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we're back here on our roundtable today with Sabrina Siddiqui, Hunter Walker, and John Bennett. Hunter, you mentioned that there were word in the Senate early on, early as January, about the coronavirus. Apparently so, because we've learned that uh, Senator Richard Burr from North Carolina uh, suddenly sold $1.6 million in stocks in uh, January after giving a speech to a group of people from North Carolina, a group of investors, telling them how serious, even though publicly he was saying, not a lot to worry about with coronavirus, it's not a big deal. Privately, he told this group, this is as serious as the big flu epidemic of 1918. And he sold his stock. We don't know whether he did so with some inside information or not. What should happen to Senator Burr? Is this a big deal? Hunter, you start us off. I mean, who among us hasn't suddenly sold $1.6 million? <laughs> yeah, I, right. I, I just dropped some of my millions off yesterday. Um, but, you know, look, I think that the Senate was getting some briefings. Um they had some great information on this, but as we were all saying, and I think this is really something um, that needs to be at the core of this, we knew about this in January. You know, I was literally um, yeah. messaging one of my colleagues at Yahoo Finance yesterday, uh, and just coincidentally, our last Slack chat was me half joking in January saying, how do I short the whole market? How do I bet against this? Because people knew this was coming. It's not like this, you know, Senate briefing was was something so extraordinary. You know, yeah. what I think but is extraordinary in the case of Burr is that he publicly, like so many Republicans and like Fox News, downplayed the potential impact of this while he clearly knew that it was going to be a big deal. Yeah. Then we have this stock sale. You know, it raises the question of sort of whether he did this based on inside information or common information. Uh, I think that's a question for, for more serious people than myself in the regulatory sphere. But it brings up larger questions, including why is inside information the threshold for members of, of the legislature, right? Why are they allowed to own stocks in the first place? Because these questions of, you know, what your motivations and what information you have are so thorny that really we can eliminate it by saying we shouldn't have members of Congress who have millions of dollars in stock. And then separately from that, we only know about these incidents in the Senate because they have disclosure requirements. We don't know anything about what mm. the president and his family have done with their stocks and their business. Right. Um, and Sabrina, it is illegal, actually, for a member of Congress to sell stock or buy stock based on information they may have as a member of the Senate. Uh, absolutely. And look, a lot of them are obviously trying to dance around the issue and suggest that that's not exactly the way that this uh, played out. But it's and it's also not just Senator Richard Burr. 
uh, Sandra James Inhofe of Oklahoma right. sold as much as $400,000 in stock. That's according to New York Times. All on January 27th, uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein of California sold between right. $1.5 million and $6 million in stock in a biotech company between January 31st and February 18th. And then uh, Senator Kelly Loeffler, a new senator from Georgia, she and her husband, uh, they sold stock on January 24th, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of uh, stock as they began to get briefings on the virus. Now, as much as the senators are trying to say that, that that's not the actual correlation and that's not what was behind uh, those transactions, uh, the point is that they were receiving these classified briefings. And rather than rallying around a response, uh, rather than mobilizing with the great power that they have as, as U.S. senators, uh, it looks as though they were after, they were they were primarily concerned with their own financial interests, and this is at a time when, to Hunter's point, the president was still downplaying the threat of the virus, and some of these senators and lawmakers were doing the same. They were same echoing thing, right. uh, that this is that everyone is overreacting, and that the, the social distancing isn't actually necessary, and if anything, providing their constituents with false and potentially dangerous information at the same time that they knew that something much more serious was around the bend. So, John, uh, Tucker Carlson last night on uh, Fox News said Richard Burr should resign. Boy, if Strong you're running, yeah, if, you, if you're running for reelection in uh, in a state with a lot of uh, Republican and kind of a, a swingy state sometimes in my home state of North Carolina, um, I don't think you want Tucker Carlson potentially driving down uh, your Republican turnout which, you know, that could just suppress the vote for Burr if, if somebody like Tucker Carlson keeps banging this drum from now until November. Uh, and it just looks bad. I think it's important to note here that what Senator Burr told that, that group of business folks from North Carolina, and, and his office has told me they were up in the room. I'm not sure how that changes much. But he, he told a business group that they needed to reconsider their company travel. That they, they may want to cancel those trips and keep their employees uh, here, and they could do those meetings with folks from overseas via video teleconference. And that was a few weeks after he dumped millions in hotel stocks. So don't travel. I just dumped these stocks. Maybe you would have stayed at some of these properties. It just looks really bad. And for somebody like Tucker Carlson to say that, I you know that's that's it's just it just looks really bad again hotel stocks after telling businesses to cancel uh business trips is just it's just it's just awful awful optics and his his office has not responded to me i've, I've tried to get a statement to explain this and um we're still waiting okay so it's hard to believe that we could spend uh, almost an entire half hour without yet talking about the 2020 primary. But that's the reality of the news cycle these days. But we won't let you go without, let's just say, Joe Biden. He won 10 out of 14 on the first Super Tuesday, five out of six on the second Super Tuesday, three out of three this week. Let me just ask each of you to weigh in. Uh, is it all over for Bernie? Who starts? Hunter. Yeah, so I, I talked to some senior Sanders staffers uh, on Tuesday night, and, and one of them said to me, it's, quote unquote, time for some hard decisions. Uh, they said the time has come for some true reflection for this campaign. Uh, another told me that it didn't seem like Bernie had a plan. 
and that, you know, really top leadership on the campaign was not even communicating to uh, some of the senior staff kind of which states they're targeting or why his what is his reason for staying in. Uh, the impression that I get talking to a lot of folks in the Bernie orbit is, you know, we forget it's just about three weeks ago that he had this big victory in Nevada. He yeah. basically was was you know, barring the confusion around Iowa, somewhere in two out of three or three out of three in the early states. He was the overwhelming front runner. The future polling looked really bad for Biden. That all sort of had this stunning turnaround uh, aided by, you know, the other people dropping out and coalescing around Biden, but also by the virus. And so I think for Bernie, someone who, you know, has been fighting these these various causes and battles for literally 40 years uh, and is now on his second campaign, feels like he was a little bit cheated uh, both times in 2016, as we all know, and also in Iowa this time. It, you know, he's coming to grips with this. And uh, Faz Shakir, the campaign manager, was very transparent that he was flying back to Burlington after the Senate mm -hmm. corona vote um, and that he was going to assess things. I think we all know uh, which way he's going to come down. There really is no path forward for him. It's just a question of sort of when he drops out, how, and sort of whether he tries to use that moment and whatever leverage he may have less left to push Biden on some of his policy agenda. Right. How do you read it, Sabrina? Well, the, the challenge here is that it is true, on the one hand, that there are 26 states, territories, and then the District of Columbia that have yet to hold primaries. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the majority of uh, those states are those that were carried by Hillary Clinton in 2016 and where Joe Biden leads mostly in double digits. And so the, the, the path simply doesn't seem to be there for Bernie Sanders, now, one thing, of course, that his campaign has pointed to is the fact that some many of these primaries are now delayed. It could be another two months until Joe Biden wraps up the nomination because of concerns around the coronavirus. Um, and so maybe they're hoping that in the same way that things can turn around very dramatically, something uh, could happen. There could be some kind of change. Uh, but at the same time, there is that set, there is that really difficult conversation that they have to have with the candidate and give him his time to make that decision uh, he's obviously had an indelible impact on the Democratic Party and very much reshaped the platform. And so he'll have a lot of influence in this process moving forward. I do think that many, even his own advisors, would probably acknowledge that he'll have even more influence uh, the sooner mm -hmm. he starts to work with Joe Biden and, and, and looks at dropping out of the race. There are still some of those concerns um, about the potential of dividing the party uh, or exacerbating dis divisions that are still there uh, God forbid you ever relitigate 2016 and they don't want to go back down that road right now, especially at a time when there is this global pandemic. And what you're certainly hearing from Joe Biden and his campaign is if this is all the more time to put on a unified front and really focus in on the challenge of defeating President Trump in November. And, and the party will have an even stronger chance of doing that if they could unite around a ticket and not drag out this process further. But it is, of course, Bernie Sanders' decision to make and his alone. And so when he makes that, that's really going to be up to him. Uh, but I think that he does have a pretty positive working relationship with Joe Biden. And, and so that is where you'll see at least, I think I personally think you'll see a big difference in um, the acrimony from 2016 versus the way uh, that the next few months look in the Democratic contest uh, this time around.
So, John, it could still go all the way to the convention, assuming that there's even is a convention this year, right? That's a very good question. Will we have conventions? As we know, then maybe we will have uh, some kind of virtual conventions. Uh, who knows by then? I, I want to flip this and uh, kind of pivoting off Sabrina, look at this from Joe Biden's perspective, because I do think, you know, your question is burning, is burning done. And, and I think there's no real path to the nomination here. So for Joe Biden, I think that's the challenge is as Bernie stays in, because I don't think Bernie's here to win anymore. I think Bernie's here to make a few points. And when, as Hunter said, when, when you're, you feel wrong from 2016 and maybe a little bit this time, um, and, you, you know, he feels strongly about his, about his policy views and his ideological views, so he wants to make points about that as well. And I think that can be a dangerous combination for Joe Biden. There might be a temptation to kind of coax Bernie out sooner rather than later by by moving to the left, uh, at least signaling that you agree with Bernie on this or that, or you adopt a policy proposal. Is and you know that those are things that Donald Trump. Uh, we know he can use those against a Joe Biden. You know, Biden's moved far left. He's already said the 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 Bernie AOC wing of the party is is giving orders to Pelosi and Schumer and, and Biden and others. So I think the danger here is for Biden to um, to try to coax Bernie out by saying publicly that he agrees with some of these things, being pulled too far to the left. And then yeah. uh, and then and then Trump just unloads on him for three or four months. Yeah, good point. And one could say that in some ways that uh, Joe Biden has already shown that, for example, yep, by adopting uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren's plan on uh, college college tuition, which I happen to agree with. But excellent, excellent conversation, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, good friends. Now, um, we always ask you to come in with one little thing during the week that really caught your attention, your favorite story of the week. Sabrina, why don't you start us off this week? It's a little hard nowadays to follow <laughs> positive stories. No, so what I'm gonna, but I did enjoy this because um, a lot of, obviously, all of the zoos and aquariums across the country are shut down. Uh, during the coronavirus, and many of these places are really important because they invest heavily in, yeah. in, in research uh, and trying to keep animals off of uh, endangered species and extinction lists. And so, uh, a lot of them are getting creative. And uh, I've noticed because there's no visitors coming to the Shed Aquarium in Chicago, for example, they're taking turns having their animals take tours of the aquariums themselves. <laughs> so you can see penguins walking around the rotunda, and then another day they let the, you know, let another animal out. And, um, you know, the, some it. of the I other animal, uh, sorry, some other zoos are, and aquariums are really upping their live stream game. And, and mm -hmm. something that is, I swear to God, this is backed up by research, People feel a lot better when they watch animals. This is like something that I, that psychologists yeah. have actually looked at. I mean, that there you go. Hunter's got his uh, Hunter is showing us his dog. He's got his dog in his arms as he's filming this podcast, and we've all we're all very happy looking at the dog. So, so highly encourage you guys uh, to tune into these live streams. Um, because I think it'll bring a much-needed smile to everyone's face. I love the, uh, the, 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 the image of the penguins walking around uh, of the aquarium. It'd be nice if there were people in back of the glass that the penguins could look at, you know, just to, to change things up. Uh, how about you, Hunter? 
We'll yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, and you know, it, it's very funny. I, part of the reason I've got my dog in my lap is I've learned working from home that he gets very jealous when I'm on the phone or talking to someone else. Oh. So that's the, hence the barking during the podcast. That's been a really fun obstacle. Um, but <laughs> I would, I would say my, my, I'll give two recommendations for the week. One, uh, if you're going to end up stuck on a Peloton like me, Cody Rigsby is a wonderful trainer. He's got some great classes on there. And then also Esquire did this great, great, great profile of Macaulay Culkin, uh, who we have not really heard from extensively no. uh, publicly, but it turns out he's had his own website. He, he's had a really interesting life and he's got a lot of perspective. It's it's sort of it's sort of an untraditional child star tale and that he had the shocking rise. He started to have the fall. But then he sort of righted it on his own terms. So hmm. it's kind of quirky and uplifting. And it, it seems like it was written right. in December. So it's totally a non-corona. It's a corona-free space of, uh, of quirky joy. <laughs> Boy, I haven't heard that name forever, right? John, what caught your attention? I was fascinated that Tom Brady decided to leave the New York oh, Patriots yes. and, uh, <laughs> and head south to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay. Oh, well, if, if you think about it football-wise, they've got a great running game, they've got a great offensive line, and they, he's got he's got big, fast receivers and, and a big tight end to throw to down there and a running game that will that should prolong his career, you know, if he doesn't get hurt on a freak play. You know, it's a two-year deal. He'll be 43 or 44 at the end of it. Um, but, but I want to bring this back to politics because my relatives down south um, – it, it always struck me how they would talk about the Patriots and Coach Belichick and Brady, um, kind of like they talk about uh, Democrats, you know, lying and cheating <laughs> and, and trying to do everything they can to take advantage of everyone. So now that he's going to be playing in <laughs> NFC South, I think uh, I think uh, TB12 is going to hear a lot of boo birds uh, even more than he's used to <laughs> when the when the Bucks go on the road to Atlanta and Charlotte and, and places like that. Yeah, that was a that was a surprising move to me, and it will be it will be fun to watch. Well, I'm glad none of you stole my story. My favorite story of the week is that for the third year in a row, you probably heard this, the World Happiness Report of the United Nations has rated Finland as the happiest nation on earth. Finland, three years in a row, so somewhere the sun is shining. I'm not sure it's in <laughs> Finland. Uh, but what's interesting, this is a country of 5.5 million people. And I. so the first question I had was, so that means they must be corona-free, but they're not. There are actually 387 cases of coronavirus in Finland. Nonetheless, these people feel that they're going to emerge from this stronger and happier than ever because it's said, I saw this morning, that Finland is not a country where they're are spontaneous demonstrations of joy. The people of Finland love getting out by themselves in the woods and in the lakes. And so the social distancing comes easy for them. This is going to be strong. They're going to support each other, and they're going to emerge from the coronavirus happier than ever. They may get it four years in a row as the happiest place on earth. How about that? I, I just got to say, Bill, at some point, you know, these, these Finns might be finning so much that they become tired of finning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. 
And go it's ye- obviously time to go. Go, <laughs> go ye forth and fin no more. Uh, okay, hey guys, thanks so much. Sabrina Siddiqui from the Wall Street Journal. Hunter Walker from Yahoo and John Bennett from The Independent. We thank you all. Thanks to all of you for listening as well. And if you haven't already done so, please take just a minute to subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. You know how to do it. Just go to this platform wherever you're listening to the Bill Press Pod. Uh, Click on the Bill Press Pod and then click on subscribe. You're in. Tell your friends to do the same. And meanwhile, we'll let you go. But please stay healthy. Keep your distance. Wash your hands. And we'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Thank <laughs> you.